Welcome back. It is Hal History. I'm Derek here with Chad. Once again, we are here for part three of our 2021-2022 Timberwolves season review. We're going to close out the rest of the Timberwolves roster in a stock watch, trying to figure out if our opinions of these players have gone up or down over the past nine months. And I think we have uh, nine players for here today, here today, and we are very excited to roll through them. It shouldn't take too long, so thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for coming back. And uh, Chad, how's it going? Um, outside of the living in the sh- bomb shelter for the last couple hours with the tornadoes. <laughs> yeah. It has been quite the evening. All good other than that. Yeah, we got stuck out in the storm trying to uh, drive home with our kids from a, a youth event, so we uh, we uh, got to check the, the hail damage in the morning. We'll see how that turned out in the vehicle. Yeah, good luck on that. Yeah, yeah. we we weren't out, so it was easy. We just came downstairs with the, the dogs and played some NBA Jam and um, you know, some other games and kind of <laughs> hungered down until it, until it was passed. So. <laughs> Yeah, we uh we watched an episode of Is It Cake on Netflix because that's what the girls wanted to watch. So that is, yeah. I saw that preview to that. It looks pretty uh crazy. Some of those cakes are like unbelievable that they're that that they're actually cake. Yeah, it's a uh, it's easier to tell which is cake when you're watching on TV because they give you close ups. Okay, um, but they have judges who are trying to guess which one of the five Farther, items right. up there are cake, but they have to stand. 20 feet away behind a podium you know so okay. it's like i can understand how they get it wrong but when you're being shown each item up close you know as the viewer it's like well I, i'm pretty sure i know which one's cake you know and then you, you end up being right more often than not so yeah when i watched the trailer like the jordan shoe right was obvious to me only because like it the leather was hard to like replicate mm-hmm. and i'm sure but the rest of them i was like there's i don't remember them now but there were several i was just like wow that's cake yeah <laughs> I mean, there are some, you know, B, you know, C plus level reality shows on Netflix, you know, like Flora is Lava and Is a Cake, but the kids love them and they're, they're yeah. super made for that, that age. So, um, so they had fun with it. We got to do that until, uh, the tornado warnings passed and put them to bed. And now here we are, we are talking Timberwolves, even though it's been multiple weeks since the Timberwolves are no longer in the playoffs. It seems like it's been a lot longer though. It's, we're only, we haven't even made it through one more round of the playoffs and, Yet it feels like it's been forever since the Wolves played. Have you been watching a lot of the rest of the playoffs? You know, it, I, I needed a reprieve. I needed a hiatus. I, mean, I as well. The Wolves like, lost. I've really only been watching hockey, to be honest. Like, I'll, I'll kind of tune in to, like, a few minutes here and there of the game. Yeah. And then I'm wa- not even just the Wild. Like, I'm watching just, like, which is weird for me. I don't normally watch hockey. No, I, I mean, I haven't watched any hockey. It's not like I've taken solace in hockey. You know, that's that would be yeah. totally yeah, yeah. out of character just, for me. but. Um, but but no, I feel like usually by the time we get to the playoffs, like I, you are able to tune out on the Timberwolves by mid February, the trade deadline passes, you know, they're going to be bad. And then you watch some of the games through the rest of the year, if you can catch them. But for the most part, you know, they're playing for ping pong balls. You're just trying to see one or two players, see how, you know, how they improve. And by the time the playoffs roll around, you're super excited. You're super ready to watch some real basketball again. You're going to, you know, you're going to see some high level competition and, you start amping up and you know for me it's always been i amp up to the nba finals and then there's only two teams left i can make myself decide which one i'm going to care about or you know really become invested even if though i'm not truly invested in either of those teams but with the the energy and the emotion put into those six games for the timberwolves playoff series it was like that took out that took out from of me as much emotion as normally an entire nba playoffs does so by the time that finished, I was like, you know what, I'm going to need a round, and then I'll start amping up again in the in the conference finals here. 
Yeah, and and maybe it's just this round. Like I'm not like terribly excited about most of the matchups. Yeah, it's just um, the Phoenix Dallas one's becoming more intriguing to me. But I kind of thought Golden State, whether Jaw was healthy or not, was going to walk through Memphis in five five games, and that's maybe it would have gone six if Jaw was healthy. But I don't know. I don't really think it would can be a huge difference. Um, well, not not to date our uh, our episode here, but have you seen what Memphis is doing to him tonight? I'm I have not. I have not. Memphis is up by 27 at halftime. Oh wow! Yeah, like I think they have like 20 more possessions in in the first half than Golden State did, just because of their size, their offensive rebounding, and the turnovers. Wow! So I mean, yeah, it's good for them to show up. You know, losing. I mean, it's kind of the same thing we felt like um, heading into the Memphis series. Like, you know what? You get your two games, and you you feel like you made it a series. It's at least a something you can hang your hat on, even if you would have liked to have one ultimately one. You don't want to go away in five. Well, you know, it's funny. I was talking to, so I have a friend I'm at, who lives in, down in the, actually more closer to Nashville, but Memphis fan. And uh, we were talking about that, our series a little bit. He, going into the Wolves series, was resigned to losing to us. He thought that the Wolves were the better team. He thought we would mm-hmm. win. Got a little bit cocky when they won. Right. <laughs> and now he's like, was devastated this morning because Ja was going to be out the rest of the playoffs. And he felt like, it was a disappointing end that, you know, I'm like, well, did you really think you were going to beat the Warriors? He's like, well, no, you know, we are, so we were talking about it. So it is, it's kind of funny because I get where he's coming from a little bit because I think we had the same thing with the Wolves where I thought that playoffs, like, like you said, win two games and you're happy, but then you, you play those games and you're like, we're clearly better yeah, for three and a half quarters in every game, except for the one game where we got blown up. But, and we ended up losing the series, you know, and so it was, I mean, so he and I were talking trash back and forth. I'm like, well, he was complaining about that, the falls. I was like, are you serious? Is this a mm-hmm. whole Memphis thing? That was just a Taylor Jenkins thing. But like you guys shot like 30 more free throws than we did. Like if we would have had just half as many more free throws yeah. as you guys shot, that series would have been over in five games. <laughs> like it wouldn't have even been close. So um, anyway, so yeah, so I, I think that's where – I need the break was because I got more emotionally invested in the first round. Yeah, absolutely. I think most, I think most Wolves fans did, which is kind of brings us to our conversation tonight. Is that, uh, you know, like it changed our, our as fans collectively opinions of certain players. Like now all of a sudden we want to get greedy and upgrade positions where they've already been upgraded just to get us to the playoffs. And now we're trying to upgrade them again early in the process, you know, it kind of speed up this developmental process to getting further into the playoffs next year. Um, and not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying, it just seems like that's the reality. Like we went from a fan base that didn't expect anywhere close to a playoff run this year to a team that won 46 or whatever games and mm-hmm. then made a nice, you know, had the most entertaining first round of the playoffs. And then also people are kind of like disappointed and, and some of the parts of this, yeah. this uh, collective piece. So, And I think anyway. it's interesting. I mean, we'll look forward to next season starting in our next episode. We're going to start breaking down the, the roster, the, the challenges with, with upgrading it and what the potential solutions might look like. Um, and today we're really still staying with the 2022 Wolves, trying to you know take a look at a few more players. But um, it's, it's just kind of interesting taking a look at where they did end up and the state of the league around them. And I don't, I don't see... They won 46 games this year, and the teams that you expect to improve next year, most of those teams, like, 
the Wolves already struggled with. Like, you could see Kawhi coming back and the Wolves still going 1-3 and three against the Clippers. You could see Zion coming back and the Wolves going 2-2 two and two against the Pelicans. And those are... You know, that's that's not going to stay the same. Like, I don't see the Wolves' record necessarily changing a whole lot between this year and next year, which is a positive, which is, you know, a reinforcement in, in what they've done. Um, you know, they did go 3-1 and one against Denver, and maybe that looks different if Jamal Murray and, and MPJ are back, but they'll go, they don't, they're not going to go 0-2 against Orlando, you know, so they'll, they'll make up those wins somewhere or those losses or whatever they come from. Um, the challenge is just going to be like, what is the state of the Western Conference going to look like, which I think is, is the hard part to, to really look forward at. And there will be lots of changes. P- players will move around. There will be teams that aren't as good next year that you expect to be good. You know, coming into this season, we expected LA and Portland and the Clippers to all be ahead of us. And then, you know, they all fell off for one, one reason or another. And, you know, Dallas is looked good at the end of the season and they made big strides after Porzingis got traded away and it seems like they've kind of found their rhythm and you know now they're tied they're down 3-2 in the in the Western Conference semifinals so I don't want to take anything away from them or what they've accomplished but at the same time like they're uh Jalen Brunson signing with a different team away from taking a step back as well so you never know what's going to be happening it is it it is unfortunate that you know we just happened to catch our one good season you know, when everybody else was hurt and, you know, that worked out and it would have been nice if we'd been a little bit more ready to capitalize on that in the, in the team experience level. But, um, but yeah, let's, let's, let's continue looking back in the year. We've got, like I said, we have nine players to roll through. It's most of the, uh, role players on the roster, the guys that you wouldn't consider necessarily core moving forward, guys that we have, you know, strong and high opinions on, but, um, could be gone one for one reason or another sometime in the next few years. So, um, it's not the, the cat, Jaden and you know trio that we are really leaning on or even D'Lo with his max contract but um you want to go with uh Bev or Vando first Chad you want to dive finish off the starting lineup um let's go Beverly Beverly he's the one that's going to be I don't know probably well I take it back there are lots of players who our impressions of them changed for the positive throughout the course of the year and Beverly is obviously one of them I would say the only reason why he might not be at the top of that list is because you and I were obviously extremely high on him coming in. We couldn't have been more ecstatic about the trade. I didn't, we didn't see any reason why it wouldn't work out right away. Um, and it just, everything that you could have hoped for, everything that you could have wanted or seen out of him coming to this team, even the wildest projections for where you thought that might go all came true. You know, he, he fulfilled everything that you'd want for him. Maybe he wasn't quite as much of a spot-up shooter. Maybe he took a little bit more control than you would have wanted him to in big moments, but ultimately he delivered. Yeah, and that would be my only criticism of him was, and it was really only more like the last quarter of the season and the playoffs where he became a little too ball dominant for mm-hmm. my liking for what his role should have been. Um, I didn't really, I thought his spot up shooting was largely fine. I mean, for, you know, like I didn't expect him to be a 45% three point shooter or anything like that. I, I thought. He hit big ones, yep. you know, to to stop drives from other teams. He changed the culture of this team um, through, you know, his energy level. And um, so, yeah, I like, look, I feel like when we, as we go through the list, a lot, all these guys, I'm kind of saying I'm not disappointed in. But I think that's a fair way of describing a team that over delivered on what mm-hmm. I expected the overall team to do. Right. So, like. Most of these guys, I don't really have any um, disappointments in. And Beverly fits that. I mean, like you said, we were both really high on him getting him in the trade. 
And I think largely he was at or above even my expectations all season long. I mean, I, I, I can't stress enough how important I think he was to this year's run. So I, I think as we're talking stock for next year, I, I would say it's a little lower than it was this year and not because of anything he did this year, but only because it's one more year yep. in his career where I just, I don't think this is sustainable for him too much longer to, at the level he plays. And we saw him miss a handful of games this year. And I think he'll probably miss more games next year, but I think that's also okay because I also would like to see for this team to take the next step for him to kind of go back to being a sixth man, you know, playing closer to 25 or 30 minutes a game instead of 30 or 35 minutes a game. Um, and just kind of being, you know, more of that energy guy off the bench and being more of the, the communicator off the bench, like, you know, talking to guys when they come off the court or yelling to them while they're on the court, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I, it's funny because I'm going to look back on him and the impact he was able to make on the culture and the guys around him. Similarly to the way I look back at Sam Cassell, you know, I, Cassell was a better player than Bev sure. is, especially at the points of their careers where they came in and joined the Timberwolves. But, um, they join very similar as veteran point guards who are able to come in, steady the ship in necessary ways, bring guys around them, and just take the team to the next level. And yeah, Bev wasn't the prim- a primary scorer. He wasn't even a secondary or third scorer on this roster the way that, that Cassell was. Um, but what I'm, to your point, what I'm worried about is that this next year is going to be similar to Cassell's second year where there's going to be a little bit more angst, a little bit more bitterness. If he's coming off the bench, if we're asking him to serve a smaller role in the team, if he's no longer looked at as a culture changer, but now the culture is kind of formed and he is a part of the culture rather than the leader of the culture, you know? And if he, if he doesn't feel like he is as important to this team, I wonder if he's going to act in a way to make himself more important, you know? Yeah, it's hard to say. I don't think, I didn't really get the sense that he did that in LA. Yeah. And I think he knew, I think he had the sense that he wasn't part of their future all year last year Mm -hmm. with the Clippers. I think with the Wolves, yeah, it's it's all, I think a big part of it will be how the players still treat them. Yep. And I think we have guys like Cat, and Ant in particular, who are really good at sharing the spotlight um, when it's cast on them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Ant, more so even than Cat, is more genuine with that sharing of the spotlight. And I'm not saying that it's not important for Cat to share it. I think it is important for him to share it, but he, it's also important for Cat that he gets some of it too. <laughs> like, exactly. and I don't think Ant really cares. And maybe it's because Ant gets it all. <laughs> like, I don't think he needs to care. You know, like, Ant is still at that point in his career where nobody says anything negative about Ant. Yep. Like, look, you, you and I, when we were talking today about the D'Lo, you know, situation and how he kind of ended the year. Ant, everything you said about D'Lo could also be true about Ant. Like, he became a little bit of a black hole on offense. He he did he didn't he wasn't super efficient when it really mattered. He was efficient in you know the mid middle parts of the games, but at the in crunch time, he missed a lot of shots. Right. And so you could talk about the negatives with him. Nobody does. It, all you hear about with Ant is the 36-point or 37-point game and, you know, and how, like, the future's so bright. And, and I get all that. But it is different because Cat 
Cat goes out and has 21 and 14, and people are critical because he didn't have 35 and mm-hmm. 14, you know. Um, and so they're just different standards for those guys. And so I think with, with Beverly, it's all how those guys treat him. If those guys still treat him the way they treated him this year, and I think at the top of this roster, Cat and Ant being the leaders, yep. they will. I think Beverly will probably be okay with it. You yeah. know, he also got his, his extension this year from the Wolves. Um, he obviously, if they would have given him a two or three year deal, he probably would have, it probably would have cemented that like, he would have been totally cool because he would know that by and large, his career will finish out here. But, exactly. um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I get it. The angst might be there. I think he's, he's a little bit of a different, um, personality force than Sam Cassell was, you know, Sam Cassell was, they both had chips on their shoulder, but for very different reasons, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think. Sam was kind of saying, like, you guys owe me now because of what I've done. Yep. I think Beverly knows because, like you said, he's not, he wasn't the player Sam was. Beverly's not going to have the same sort of chip as Sam did. His chip's going to be different. And, and I think he'll take more pride in building the culture. Whereas Sam was like, look, I was near an MVP candidate this year as well. Just like KG was the MVP, I was, I may not have got the, uh, the attention for it, but I was, as important to this team as, as Garnett was. And Beverly can't make that same argument that he was anywhere close to as an important uh, on the floor as Cat or Ann. Right. So I, if, if I had to put my money down on it, I'd say he's going to have another successful year next year, you know, in the games that he does play, he'll probably miss a, a good number of games again. You know, he only played 58 games this year. Um, and like you said, that's okay. You know, th- we have lots of players that need playing time. We played an 11 man rotation for the most part this year. And guys stepped up when they were given the opportunity. And Bev is around to set the culture. And as long as that culture can persist, as long as it's ingrained enough that when he misses a game, the team doesn't fall apart, which at times happened this year. There was a, you look back at the worst losses of the season. I think Dane Moore covered this a few times. Like the common denominator was that Bev wasn't there. You know, when. Especially early that those, those first, like the. New Orleans games, Clippers games. Like, either, either early or like the Orlando game late when they were trying to just keep their hopes alive for that sixth seed. And, you know, they let go of the rope against a bad Orlando team. You know, it's just kind of, he seemed to be the difference between this team overest- underestimating bad teams, you know, the way that they have in the past. So if they, if they can get one more season out of him, if they can get that, experience a little bit more to just kind of say like this is how we be professional this is how we get up for every single game if you can kind of ingrain that a little bit more as this team matures you know i i think like we said earlier we've gotten we've already got our money's worth out of the 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 trade for him and everything we get next year is just gravy because as we've both mentioned we would love it if he was able to slide back to a bench role you know i don't hopefully he's okay with that i think I think he would be like, I know he wanted to have a starting spot this year. I know that's kind of Britt mentioned. That's one of the reasons why he didn't end up in Memphis um, after they traded for him because he told them he expected to start, but he came off the bench to start this season. And that didn't seem to cause a stink until it, it, you know, everything settled and he, he was put back into the starting lineup. And he, he has shown as much affinity for the young guys as they have shown for him. You know, he mentioned he's right. going to take Jaden McDaniels with him to to work out with him and Kawhi this offseason. You know, so if Jaden comes back, if Jaden adds a whole new level this offseason in his, in his workouts and being around different types of professionals, getting a little bit more experience, he puts on a little bit of bulk. But I would bet that Bev would be 100% okay with Jaden being the starting small forward heading into next yeah. year. Yeah, 
I think he's got that parental pride right now with some of these young guys. You know, even with Ant towards, I don't remember what game it was, but it was one of the last games of the season, and him and Ant did their went into the locker room while Finch was doing his post game presser, and they're sitting together in the back, arm in arm, and Beverly's you know yelling out Coach of the Year, and mm-hmm. and then they did their question and answer together. You know, so I I agree. I think he'll he. he especially if he gets the credit for the development. Let's say Jane takes another step and Beverly gets the credit for that, deserved or not, as long as he gets the credit, he'll be more than happy, I think. Yeah, so I think there's, I think we have quite a few guys on the team that are similar in that way, that they're willing to, to take the step back and let the other guys perform as long as the credit seems to be coming for what, for what their part that they played in it, you know. Um, but yeah, nothing, you know, so many good things to say about Bev and the way that he changed this this team and the culture. And I don't know if they would have gotten to where they got to this year if he hadn't been a part of it. So um, that and you know, let's close out our, our starting lineup because they found it very early off, very early on in the season that they needed you know their their three high usage players along with their two role player defenders in, in the starting lineup, and that turned out you know for at least a portion of the season to be a very 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 successful starting lineup. And that was closed out with uh, Jared Vanderbilt and what he did um, to this team to help force turnovers to get to, you know, to gather up offensive rebounds and to really help them enforce and um, just lock down that playing at the level defensive scheme with the low man tagger and the, the rotations they're able to make his ability to defend on the perimeter as a big man, I think really played a large part in that. And yeah, he had a tough playoff series with, you know, without being, with being able to, unable, ugh, being unable to catch the ball sometimes, um, He's not the offensive threat you'd want him to be, especially to open up the floor for the other players, the other high usage players that we already mentioned. But, um, but I think for the most part, the overall impressions and the growth that he made have to be encouraging. Yeah, I mean, again, Ditto. I I think the stock for me for him is definitely up. I think we had we kind of went through the roller coaster with him. Like we started the season thinking. You know, we were talking at the beginning of the season. How do we get a Collins? How do we get? You know, we were talking about all the power forward options we could get because we didn't think Vando was a starting power forward. And then by midpoint of the season, we're like, man, I don't think we need a power forward anymore. Yeah. Like Vando's awesome. Like how do we get like, you know, we started looking at other positions like, and how do we get more out of Vando, you know? And, um, and then by the playoffs, when teams have a series to game plan for you and they, they can play you differently each night, but in subtle ways, um, it became, it became more obvious that, Maybe Vando isn't the final answer at the power forward, but maybe he can be part of it, right? Mm-hmm. right? Like, and and I I don't know that we know the answer that to that yet. You know, I think we texted today um, about a number of things, but one of the things I mentioned about Vando is like, look, he's also still very young. He could be a late bloomer and develop a jump shot and become a Siakam, not their games, but because like Siakam developed later in his career, like he he really emerged you know, a few years older than, than other guys do. And so I think, um, Vando could very well have the same type of arc, you know, and if he just got a jump shot at all, he becomes a very different player because he can already finish at the rim. It's just, like you said, he, he's, he has trouble catching the ball. I think sometimes he's surprised he's getting the pass. You got all these other offensive juggernauts on the floor with you. You're surprised somebody's looking towards you. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, you know, the oddly enough, the, the times I liked his offense the best was, the two man game of him and D'Lo, like there was some nice pick and rolls between the two of them were, or, or just cutting actions that Vando's able to do. And so 
I, again, the stock for me is up. The question mark is still there. Can he be your starting power forward? Or do you need to upgrade him and get a different starting power forward? Or is the answer more apt to just get a, another guy that can do what Vando doesn't do as well and maybe their minutes fluctuate depending on matchups? Um, because there's games where Vando was one of your one of our bright spots. There was yeah. a game where he had like 18 rebounds, and I want to say he was like 18 and 18. I, I, and I feel like it was Denver, but it might have been somebody else. But um, that he was as important to the victory as anybody else on the court. So, you know, he he has all those games in him. They're just going to be fewer and further between than some of our other star players. And so, um, yeah, another stock up for me. I, I like I, it's hard to say that your his stock is down when you're tra- talking about trying to replace him beginning of the season mm-hmm. at least in the starting lineup and now you're the question is well he definitely has a spot on this team it's just how big of a role do you think he can carry um and so you know it, it's all positive for me yeah i mean Britt mentioned on his podcast with dane moore the other day that you know tyus jones is probably one of those quadruple a type players where he's too good to be a, a backup but not quite good enough to be your starter. And I feel like Vanderbilt kind of falls in that, which can be very valuable at a $4 million a year contract if you use that flexibility to round out the rest of the roster. If you're looking at, we're going to have max guys and we're going to have role players who are on low contracts and going to fill a role, he can be almost perfect for that, which is kind of the way that our roster is constructed. That's what Rosas was looking for. Um, You know, with the conversation we had in our last episode about Russell and where he stands with the fit and the rest of the team and where we're going with that, who, who the next guys are going to be. I think that throws a little bit, a little bit of a question mark into the rest of the players as well and how everybody fits together. You know, if one guy isn't living up to their billing, do we need to fill that gap with somebody else? And, you know, that then puts an unfair expectation on the rest of the roster to take a step up from where they were asked to be when they signed their contracts in the first place. So Vanderbilt is... A great player, especially for where he's at uh, in the pecking order, for where he's at salary-wise, the contract they are able to sign him at. And they've got two more years on him. You know, hopefully they can take full advantage of that opportunity that they have with his low salary, um, because he's not going to be a restricted free agent next time. He's going to have gotten more opportunity, more minutes with this team, and he's going to be more expensive in his next contract because he's still going to be very young. So, yeah, um, I, I, and for me, if, you know, like he'll never be this on offense but wait if the type of guys i want to throw an ant and cat with are defensive specialists who aren't broken on offense yeah right like i'm thinking like danny green types like if we could get the equivalent of a danny green at power forward that's who i would want yeah and vandal's not danny green clearly from a shooting perspective but he is danny green everywhere else like he's a a Yep. You know, more than a average defender. He's an energy guy. He's a rebounder. He's a, you know, smart player. He like he, he checks all the other boxes. And so I think, you know, as we continue our discussion down the road about changes and stuff for next year, that, that's kind of where I keep coming back to in the D'Lo thing. I think fans want to move D'Lo because they're disappointed in D'Lo, but they're they're saying it in a way that they're trying to replace Vando mm-hmm. using D'Lo to do that. So you're you're. You're replacing a guy you're not disappointed in with a guy you are disappointed in and creating a hole, even a bigger hole, at the spot where the guy you're disappointed in. So that's where I have a tough time wrapping my head around those kinds of moves Um, because I don't think Vando necessarily is 
the a problem. I, I you know, he might be. I think the, the, to put it this way, we just talked about Beverly, and we're now we're talking about Vando. The bigger problem in the starting lineup for me is Beverly. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's that's an easier answer going into next year. And I think that having Jaden McDaniels next to Vanderbilt, as we've talked about before would clean up some of the problems that we have seen with Vanderbilt. Having more size next to him so he doesn't need to fill every single role. Have more, having more rim protection behind him so he can attack more rebounds, whatever it happens to be. like Having three small guards, even if Ant isn't technically a small guard, you know, in our backcourt causes problems because then you're relying on Cat and Vando to fill every single big guy need. And it, it also causes problems on offense because you got three guys at the guard positions and small forward in Ant's case that are all kind of Beverly became more ball dominant. Delo's a ball dominant guy and mm-hmm. Ant's a ball dominant guy. And, you know, as I said to you in our, our text exchanges today, all three of those guys want the ball in their hands. And that's not even addressing your best offensive player who's also on the floor with those guys not getting the ball in his hands. So now you have, so to me, that's where why Beverly was such a problem. Like, look, I know, I know McDaniel's has to clean up his falls, mm-hmm. and if if he can do that, I think Jaden is every bit the defender that Beverly is at this point in his career, and or they're you know equal careers. And if so, if you could move Ant to the two and Jaden to the three and Vander at the four, like I don't think you're 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 actually improving your offense because I think at this point Jaden's a better offensive player. Yeah. Than Beverly is well. I just think Jaden's better all around than, than Patrick Beverly. Where Jaden isn't, so he'll get into fall troubles, and he doesn't have that moxie that Beverly has to calm things down right. a little bit. Although Beverly can also make things worse sometimes in those moments. That's again where I think D'Lo adds value that maybe people forgot about mm-hmm. because you didn't see a lot of that in the playoffs. But earlier in the season, it was hugely important. So you know it'll be interesting to see you know where they can go. But I I like I said I think. Bando is less the problem in the starting lineup than Beverly. And I think if, to your point, if you got Jaden in there at the three, all of a sudden now you got two guys that can rebound next to Cat. Yep. And you got two guys that can defend next to Cat. Um, I, I think you have a lot more options. Yeah, I think that would make a big difference. You know, it, it's funny looking at, you know, what Vando did well. And the the Wolves' offensive rebounding percentage went up by 7.4% when he was on the floor. He was one of the primary drivers of the little things that made the Timberwolves the Timberwolves this year. It was forcing turnovers, getting extra possessions through offensive rebounds, being active, you know, just trying to scramble, make things hard on the defense, and he was a large part of that. Um, unfortunately, the team didn't get any better at defensive rebounding when he was on the floor um, as opposed to when he was off. So that's... That was obviously exacerbated by the Memphis series. It turned into a huge problem with Brandon Clark. We couldn't grab any defensive rebounds. It was something that we've kind of watched all year, you know, and just kind of bemoaned due to the lack of size on this roster. So that, that kind of brings us back to possibly the the idea of subsidizing Vanderbilt with another type of power forward, another a different third big than Nas or whoever it happens to be. We've been so focused on getting a new starting power forward and then having Vando and Nas on the bench to play next to each other since they complement each other so well. But to do so, I think as we're going to learn as we move into our further episodes is going to prove problematic and or difficult. So it's going to take somebody a lot smarter than us to find the the necessary solutions to that. So um, like you said, stock up on Vando. He outplayed his contract. He outplayed the expectations we had for him, especially really solidifying that starting spot for himself. So 
Um, whether or not next year he's a starter again, I think we we were more than happy with what he gave us this year. Um, Beasley, on the other hand, gigantic highs, tremendous lows. There was a weird season for Malik Beasley. Yeah, you know, honestly, I, he'd be one of the guys I would say the stock is down for me, and it's weird because I was, I was more down on him, you know, like maybe a month before the end of the season, and then I started whether it was Dane or other other podcasts listen to or other, people pointing out that his shooting was actually better than I was like remembering. Yeah, and I think part of it is because Beasley has the tendency to be kind of a front runner, like when the team is clicking. That seems to be when he has big games. Now he had a couple games where the, the you know, he became our our only offense yep. and kind of helped keep us in games, but it wasn't as many as it was when he was in the starting lineup. Yeah. I felt like more of the games that he had big games were games that we were gonna win handedly anyway. And he just was there to kind of help pour it on. It wasn't like Jalen Noel coming in and having like getting a bucket when things were exactly yeah it was the opposite it was like Beasley comes in you need a bucket really bad he gets three or four wide open looks and they all are in and out of the rim you know and so I think that's why for me it just felt different yeah yeah it just didn't feel clutch it didn't feel like even though he was like when I when those guys start pointing out the numbers and stuff and I'm like I start taking a look at I'm like wow his numbers are way better than I expected them mm-hmm. to be based mm-hmm. on what I was watching because I thought he was having a miserable year. And then you all of a sudden realize, like, yeah, he he went two for nine from three in this game. The next game he'd go seven for nine or whatever. And But it was a game you won by 25 or, yeah. you know. Um, and so I'm not saying he didn't contribute. I'm just saying he contributed to the games that were kind of more in hand. And so I, I for me, his stock is is more down than up, I think. I would be more okay as we talk about moves using him as an asset because I do think he adds value to teams that are looking for a guy like that. That you know, there's only a handful of them out there, you yeah. know. Um, but you know, like Duncan Robinson's a very similar type of player, and now he's not even playing in the playoffs because he's a poor defender. I think Beasley's a better defender than Duncan Robinson, but but he's, he's not, he also didn't play in the playoffs. He also didn't play in the playoffs for the same yeah. reasons, right? Like you can't use guys like that. So point being. I would be like exploring moves with Beasley mm-hmm. and then elevating a guy like Jalen Owell into a larger role um, for, for this team for next year. Because for me, his stock is, is lower this year than it was at the beginning of the year. Yeah. I think the shooting off the bench is going to have to look different next year. I mean, this year they relied heavily on Beasley, relied heavily on Torian Prince. So that guys like McLaughlin could come in and not have to be necessarily a shooter. Jalen Noel could be more of a, a drive, you know, a, a bucket getter in the mid range or next to the basket instead of having to rely purely on being a three point spot up shooter. Um, so that they're going to need that on the roster somewhere, which does make it hard to trade Malik Beasley because he is one of the best in the game at doing that. Like you said, he made thirty almost thirty eight percent of his threes this year on eleven point six three point attempts per thirty six minutes, and if you know if that doesn't sound like a lot yet like he shot a lot of threes last year and he was only at 9.5 per 36 minutes so he was just when he was on the floor he was jacking threes i mean he was, his three point percentage was 38% his overall field goal percentage was 39% and yeah he didn't shoot well at twos but he barely took any twos it was almost right. all threes that was his role was to get open and he all threes and one or two dunks a night I mean, yeah. it was a, <laughs> you know, what he was. his job and it felt like he felt he 
came in with the goal of no matter what it takes, no matter how tough the looks are, it's my job to take and make three pointers. So, um, but like you said, it was, it felt unfulfilling. And I, I don't think we were the only ones to notice that he, the team was either way down or way up, you know, when he was making his three pointers and it didn't seem to, they didn't seem to come in the context of necessary buckets to win a game. You know, like it, you want, you want that guy to be like Kyle Korver. Right. You know, where it's, he comes off the bench cold. Yeah. And you're, it's like, you swing, know, it's, swing, yeah. it's in. The and defense becomes, panics because he's yeah. out there. Yeah. Like you got to get to him. And, and if he doesn't do that, he doesn't really help spread the floor the way you want him to, right? Like if, if that's Kyle Corver in the corner, mm-hmm. what does that defense do now when they got, they're trying to keep Cat from getting the ball? I mean, I say it every time we get around the air, but Cat is the most double team player in the NBA. And he's probably the most triple team player in the NBA. You just, and it's not because he's the best, although he's one of the best offense players in the league. It's because nobody else on this roster strikes fear in anyone all the way down the line. I mean, yeah. there's guys that you know can have big nights, but there's nobody that, you know, push come to shove where you're betting, oh, that guy's open. He's hitting that shot. There's just nobody on the, on this team that's that scary yet. You know, maybe Ant becomes that guy. D'Lo has had his moments being that guy, but he wasn't like nobody was terrified of D'Lo. Um, no. So a Corver who's not nearly as prolific as as D'Lo or as Ants overall games is that you know does kind of create that kind of fear, and that that's what you kind of hope for with Beasley. Um, and, and maybe Beasley still is able to do that. I mean, he clearly is a talented shooter. It's just it's got to be more consistent. You know, I'd rather him be shoot fewer. If the, you know, and the weird thing with him too is they're not even necessarily bad shots. That's the thing that's a head scratcher. Like you look at Ant's three point shooting, which was great for him, mm-hmm. better than I anticipated. But he takes so many bad three point shots, and you're like, man. Like Finch said at the end of the season, his final presser saying, like, okay, we know his shooting's real now. Now we just need him to get take better shots because he does that. His percentage is going to be through the rough. Well, Beasley's taking. Most of his are all good shots. Like he doesn't have a defender rate on when he's shooting them. He, most of his are wide open, and he's you know only hitting the thirty eight percent of them. So, um, I if 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 he's gonna get that much run, you just hope that he can be more consistent from game to game and not have like a, a, a he's on fire game one night and a ice cold night the next. You know. Yeah, if he's going to be that type of shooter, if that's his role. The the only way that it's actually going to start paying off in dividends it exponentially is going to be if teams start treating him that way. Like you said, he has to be he has to have more gravity. He has to be somebody that changes a team's defense when he's on the floor. Otherwise, making like making thirty eight percent of your threes that's awesome. Like that is a high, a good number. It's a good points per possession. But if it's not helping. If it's not helping Carl more so than just being a decent three-point shooter, like if you're not if if you're not providing more space for Carl than Jalen Noel is, it's not being that ultimately exponential growth for you know for your team's offense. And yeah, I mean we compared him to Duncan Robinson, but even in the bubble playoffs, yeah, he, when Duncan Robinson when they found Duncan Robinson with the ball, you're like, oh crap, that's going in, like or okay if you're a Miami fan, but. Like you just knew whenever he got the ball that that shot was going in in the biggest moments. When it's Beasley, I'm like, oh no, 
Yeah. I'd just rather just about anybody else shoot. Like, I mean, I'd, you know, Vandal's not somebody I'd rather have shoot it, but like any of the other offensive guys, I'd rather have Cat shoot it. I'd rather have Ant shoot it. I'd rather have Dilo shoot it. I'd even probably rather have Beverly shoot it in those crucial moments because I, Beasley's just doesn't have the knack for hitting those clutch threes. Yeah. You know? If Vando gets an offensive rebound on his first miss, I might trust Beasley to make the second one. He's much better yeah, at that right. shot. But yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. That's a lot of time on Beasley. And unfortunately, it's, it is, it is kind of stocked down. And I, we came into the season hoping that he would settle into a role as a sixth man. He has done that well. It's not that he has been a problem. It's not that he didn't work his way back from his offseason problems. So he, he, he met expectations. He met what we were kind of hoping, but he didn't take any steps. He didn't really change the team in a way that you can know that he's a crucial part of them moving forward. Even though the numbers would kind of say when he missed games, the, the bench crumbled. You know, it's it's just kind of, I think they can find ways to, to reproduce what he offered. Um, let's move a little bit quicker on the, on the last few here. I know that Nas Reed is kind of the player that I have the lowest opinion of in comparison to the rest of the Wolves fan, fan base. Um, I've want, you know, I, I understand the value of having a player that is a facim, facsimile, 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 facsimile of, uh, of Carl and able to do some of the things that he can't, so you don't need to change your offensive sets. But at the same time, like his inability to play big, his inability to get a rebound, the fact that any time the opposing team has any semblance of a quality big man on their bench. He just gets thoroughly played off the floor. I, I just don't know how many more games I can watch Nas Reed. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I'll start with saying, I I would say, it sounds like we agree. His stock is down. <laughs> yeah. So I agree there. I would say it's down because maybe he didn't develop in other tools that maybe I hope he could develop. Um, I don't, where you're down on him, I don't necessarily disagree. I just don't blame Nas. It's just, as I kind of said before, Nas is a poor man's cat. So when you have him come in and you want him to be Steven Adams, he's not going to be. Mm-hmm. He's a poor man's cat. Or if you have want him to come in and, I don't know, whatever it is. Like, he's going to do what Cat does, only way worse. Yeah. <laughs> and not way worse because he's a way worse player. Like, he's a bad player. He's not a bad player. He's just not Cat. Like, Cat's kind of a unicorn become a unicorn like in what he does he's you know he's a weird player because he's one of the best shooting three-point shooters in basketball not big men just in basketball Mm -hmm. and he still rebounds the hell out of the ball he does all these things Nas isn't the rebounder clearly obviously a cat is yeah but he's a good shooter you know for a big man um and yeah I so Again, I I guess what I'm saying is he he's another guy that I think might add value to teams that might be a a, a asset to a team making a trade yeah. for with us. But I don't think he is a long term fit with us from a basketball standpoint. He is a long term fit because his contract matches up so beautifully with Towns as a backup center. I just think, you know, what you want for that third big is to be some a guy that either does something that Vando doesn't do well, mm-hmm. which I guess Nas arguably does that. He shoots much better than Vando, but he doesn't rebound better or right. differently. Right. And he's not as, you know, he's, he doesn't do any of the things that Cat doesn't do well. Nas doesn't do well either, or he doesn't work even worse. So I guess that's where my, I think if he would have cleaned up his falls and, and maybe could stay on the floor a little bit more when 
when you really needed him to, then it might be a little bit different story today, that, how we're talking about him. Um, but unfortunately, he's still fall prone and he's become a little bit of the complainer that Cat has. Like, mm-hmm. he, like he, it's so weird to me how similar they are. Um, so, yeah, it's tough. I mean, and, you know, part of the, the value and the concept of moving Vanderbilt to the bench, if you could find a permanent starting power forward, is that Vanderbilt and Nas can play next to each other. They clean up a lot of what the other one can't do. Um, but I don't think, I think the team has proven that their starting lineup and their bench lineup can have different styles of play. Yeah. I think I think the rest of the rosters did. So I don't think it's a necessity. I don't think it's mandatory that your backup center plays the same way as Carl anymore, especially when you were bringing Torian Prince and J- Jaden McDaniels off the bench as your as your power forwards. Nas just couldn't be the muscle underneath. He couldn't fill that role necessary to play next to those guys when everybody else is, you know, out around the perimeter. He just he couldn't feel the role necessary with that group, which was, you know, and he's never going to be the starter unless Carl goes down for a long period of time. And even if Carl does go down, you don't like you'd be better off having somebody more talented than somebody who just mimics what Carl does. And, and yeah, and I, don't, out. and I don't think they even brought him in or, you know, signed him as a um, undrafted rookie to yeah. to do what be, just because he's, he sort of gives you a, a facsimile of what towns does i think they did it it's a money ball play right like they took the most talented player they could get for the cheapest contract they they could sign him to and that's how you got nods and and i think from that standpoint it's a huge success like i would much rather have towns than any of those other type of undrafted rookies that never make a team because mm-hmm. Nods clearly belongs in the nba he yep. is an nba rotation player he just might be a bad fit here like i think there's a lot of guys on this team that Rosas has that when he did this sort of money ball thing, they started to construct it. Certain guys' roles ended up getting kind of cannibalized by other players, you yeah. know. Um, and I think Nas is just one of those guys. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, his his wins produced per dollar is one of the highest over the last few years on the team because he has pro- he has produced at a minimum contract, and they had him on the Gupta special or whatever it is, you know, the four years and minimum salary deal. He's got one year left on that, and it's just. If this is a team they're rolling forward with, if they don't go out and change power forwards, and like you said, he's just going to get squeezed. And I think they're going to have to identify maybe, like, maybe we can get through another regular season without changing that position. But if we're, there are too many matchups in the playoffs that we could run into where Nas is just going to be a detriment. And yeah, Carl can play more minutes in the playoffs, but you don't want him to have to play 44 minutes in a first round playoff game just to help your team survive so and sometimes he can't if he just gets out of his mind yep. he can't because he'll be in fall trouble absolutely all right jalen noel he's another guy that I, we've liked the whole time we always thought there was potential there but he showed through his stretches this year maybe if maybe not consistently for 82 games but definitely for stretches of, of 10 20 games that he can be a legitimate piece on maybe he's not going to be a starter or even a, a sixth man on a winning team but he can play in this league and he's a bucket man yeah, my, for me, his stock's up higher now than it, I thought it would be this year. I mean, I liked him. I didn't think he would ever have that big of a role this year. Yeah. Um, and he, at times, he had no role. At other times, he had huge roles. Like, it was, it was just really weird season for him. But I, I saw enough in the time he played that I want him to have a bigger role on this team. And so when I'm looking to improve my big man rotation, that's why I'm looking at 
moving a guy like Beasley because I know Jalen Noel can play more minutes. Yeah. Um. I, you know, I you can make the argument about D'Lo as well because you know because D'Lo is kind of a combo guard. And that's what Jalen Noel is. Um. In my mind, he's not the obviously the passer that D'Lo is and stuff, but he can play some of those minutes. I I think that's a bigger gap to fill the D'Lo. But I think Beasley. I know he's not the three-point shooter Beasley is, but I don't. I think you can change some things around the offense. That Jalen Noel still a competent enough shooter that he can stretch the floor as well as Beasley. Again, like we just talked about Beasley for ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Beasley didn't scare defenses into like treating him any differently than if he, it was Jalen Noel out there. So even though he was chucking up more threes, defenses weren't all of a sudden just like putting a lot of attention on him. And so and so, what's how does that really? make a difference it doesn't like so you could have Jalen Noelter and just having the pump fake and being able to drive by somebody and dunk it like that's something that Beasley doesn't do you know and so I think there's there's ways that Noel could actually be more effective in that role in the Beasley role um and so you know for me the stock's up because I could see him having a much bigger role next year if Beasley was somebody that we moved yeah that makes sense to me too I you know like a lot like Nas, he was signed, you know, as a second round pick to the Gupta especially. He also has one year left um, on his contract. We talked a little bit in the middle of the season about would it be more valuable to decline that option and keep him as a restricted free agent so you can get him longer term on, on a lower number deal? Or do you risk playing out this last year to keep his number low and then let him be unrestricted? But um, I don't know if he's proven necessarily that he is a long to that he has to be a long-term keeper. I think there were flashes of it. I think there were times where we thought maybe he was, he was pushing towards that level. Um, but like you said, he, there were times where he just didn't play, you know, he, he played 62 games this year, which meant there were 20 games where he was just a DNP. Um, and he was on, he was in and out of the rotation. But at, as you mentioned, when he was on, he filled every offensive role you could need out of him. he, took half as many three-point shots per minute as Beasley did, but he made him at a higher clip. He made 39% of his threes this year, even though he's not known as a as a dead-eye three-point shooter. He made 52.6% of his two-point shots, and he took you know a lot of lows because he's got a good mid-range shot. He finishes well at the basket. He, he As you said, he uses the threat of the three with the pump fake to get into those you know closer scoring areas. And he's a guy who, when the team just is grinding down, when they just need a basket, he can do it in... You know, he can play that one-on-one game. He can get you a bucket. So um, if he could get a little bit more familiarity with the rest of kind of the the core guys, instead of just being a break glass in case of emergency type of bench player, I think he could fit in really well around those guys. It's just a matter of um, what does his role look like if he's not a top two offensive option when he's on the floor. You know, that that's something we haven't seen a whole lot of in, in his time with the Timberwolves yet. He's not playing with, with Ant and Carl a whole lot so that he's, he has to play off of those guys. He has been the bring this guy off the bench when the offense isn't working well and ask him to go get you a bucket type guy. Um, so that, I mean, that would be the next step that you'd want to see over this next year to decide whether or not he is a long-term guy in your top seven rotation or if he's, let's just see what number we can bring him back at. And if he, if he's another, if, if, if we can keep him in a spot where, you know, he's not going to complain too much about a, a DNP, then, you know, he, he's still got a role in this team. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I don't think he's necessarily a long-term. I don't think we know enough. Yeah. Like I, I, and it's not that we don't know enough about Jalen. I think we don't know enough about who our, our 
top five guys are going to be, right? Yeah, like exactly. we, have, we we've talked about the question marks with Vando and with Beverly and with Delo and and so until we start, we we know who our top two guys are, and that's kind of all we really know, one hundred percent. And we might be seventy percent sure on on another guy, and and so I think to me, Jalen Noel is a poor man's John Morant. Like he's not a great shooter, but he can shoot. Yep. He's a he's you know he's not as good a finisher as Job, but he can finish. He's not a great defender. Well, he's probably a better defender than Ja, so he's better than Ja there. But, um, you know, he's just – he's a baller. The guy can play. And to me, if we get our way on on the starting five and you get Vando back to the bench and you get Beverly back to the bench, Jalen fits great with those two guys. Right. Where he can be a number one scoring option off the bench, you know, with those – with that next group of five, whoever that it, – it, let's say Nas is still here and it's him and Nas – also, Nas and Vando look better, as you pointed out. They can kind of complement each other a little bit better. They still can't get offensive rebounds or uh, defense rebounds. Right. But the, then you have a guy like you know Jalen and Nas can kind of carry the offensive load, and then you got Beverly and Vando playing defense. So I um, I I don't know what his long term is. It kind of depends on what else the other players would do. But you know he's a guy that I'm glad is on this team, and I'd like to keep around because until he becomes too expensive to keep him for what we're using him for. Um, he, he feels like a little bit to me, like he'll end up like Tyus where all of a sudden we're like, he's too expensive for us to keep, you know, on his next deal. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, with Tyus, it was tough because was, there were, I think there's a large portion of the fan base, including myself who wanted to see him elevated past Jeff Teague, where it's just like the team is better with Tyus on the floor. Why can't Tibbs see that? You know, I don't know if we've gotten to that point with Noel yet. No, but, no, no. Right? I'm not saying yeah. to that level. Yeah. I just mean like. Whatever his role ends up being this year, I think it'll be bigger than what it was this past season yep. that we just wrapped up. And with that, his next deal might be in the six, seven million dollar range. I'm making that up. I don't know for sure he'll get to that level, but let's say best case scenario, Jalen has a you know, really good year as a, a seventh, eighth man. Yep. Gets a seven million dollar deal. Well, that might be too expensive for the way the Wolves are constructed when they're going to have three max players on this team. Um, and and so he becomes a Tyus that way, where it's like he's a guy we would have loved to keep, but he just became too expensive. Like Tyus became too expensive to be a backup point guard for us, you know. Mm-hmm. And I could see Jalen being too expensive as a as a fourth guard on this team. Right. And that brings us to Jordan McLaughlin, who is another guy who is a a bench guard. We've talked about a few bench guards here. He's he's really the only true pure point though on the roster, and um. It's it's amazing after the first couple months of the season to even be saying this, but somehow his value has gone up. And whether it was just through the playoff series and what he was able to provide against Memphis or his play down the stretch, um, the fact that half of our bench guys only looked good when Jordan McLaughlin was on the floor with them, um, he just plays in a way. And I think you know, you've heard this a lot over different podcasts or different articles. Like He and Chris Finch are kind of simpatico and how they view the game and the way they want to play and he's kind of one of finch's favorite players there so um he was he was god awful for the at the start of the season like i think we just kind of assumed like yeah it'd be great if jordan mclaughlin was your backup next to d-lo because a lot like cat and Nas, and you've got the right amount of money invested in your point guard position and then bev comes in but bev's a starting shooting guard so we still have this three-headed rotation and then mclaughlin was just out he was out of the rotation because he was just so bad but through the course of the season, through trial and opportunity and just the chance to get in there and just really move the ball, never stop you know, dribbling, just keep it alive the whole time, get things moving quickly. 
Um, I think he really, along with the rest of the bench unit through that January-February stretch where they were just scoring at will, just kind of showed like what this team is capable of when you play the type of offense that Finch wants you to play. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. I I do think that with Jordan, if like he had a great series against Memphis, mm-hmm. if we let's say we win that series to go against Golden State, I could see that series being horrible for him because yeah. now all of a sudden, like Curry's a better defender than Ja, and Ja was, you know, like look, McLaughlin didn't have uh, an elite level defender guarding him. It wasn't when McLaughlin was in for D'Lo. It wasn't like Dylan Brooks kept guarding McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. Like, they switched, right? And Ja was now guarding McLaughlin. And so McLaughlin had a little bit easier time than if he was going against even a guy like Steph, who's, you know, a little craftier. And so I think I am high. I think the stock's high for McLaughlin for me. But I also don't want to get too carried away. Like, And I like him as a player. He's another one like Jalen, where I think he can just play basketball. Like, he's good at more than one thing. He's not a specialist. Yeah. But... I also think in a playoff series, he could get exposed in the same way Vando did, in the same way that, you know, other role players that we have, Beasley, that got exposed because you can game plan for them and kind of take them out of what they they want to do well. So um, I'm not ready to, you know, bail on our other guards and move McLaughlin into that second point guard or first point guard kind of spot. He's He's good where he's at. I'm intrigued. I'm interested to see. I think he deserves more run. Mm-hmm. I think you hope that if, you know, you can kind of try to save Beverly's legs for later in the year, maybe he can eat, uh, you know, a few more minutes a night from, from Beverly. Um, but I don't, I don't want to, you know, put him as one of those untouchable guys for me yet. No, I don't think he'd be anywhere near an untouchable. I don't think any of the guys that we've talked about during this episode have reached untouchable status. Um, you know, if he played 14 and a half minutes per game this year, which is really all that you really want to see out of him. I mean, maybe you bump it up to 16 if Delo's only able to play 32 or whatever, and you just want to give him all the backup point yeah, guard minutes. Yeah, 14 still. It could just be more consistent. Yeah, like you, so... He went from zero for yeah. many, many nights to 25 for a stretch, you yeah. know? Like, so it's just, yeah, it's just more of a consistent so that he doesn't have to... I mean, look, it's got to be hard. I mean, we've both played basketball in the past, like... It's got to be hard if you're not playing and then you come in ice like cold. You haven't even touched the ball and all of a sudden you're like in the in a crucial moment of a game. That's often when McLaughlin would get in, you know, and it's like then people are like down on him because like, well, you didn't do anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so when in the playoffs came this year, he did excel in those moments. He came in cold and performed better than what the other guys were. Paul, like he was coming in for D'Lo and he didn't have Dylan Brooks, their best defender guarding him. He, you know, like was moving that he was actually sharing the ball, something that none of our starting three backcourt players uh, want to do. Yep. Um, and so it's just, it, it, he stood out because of that. Like you said, he's our only true point guard on this team. I mean, I think Beverly historically has been a true point guard. I just think, like I said, the last quarter of the season, he became more of a ball dominant. Like he became a D'Lo clone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't what we needed from him. But uh, yeah. so, yeah, hopefully the rest of the roster, especially the guards, you know, whether it's D'Lo or Ant or um, even Jaden, as he comes in, can learn, continue to learn in Finch's style to the point that McLaughlin is less of an outlier. The, his ability to move the ball, his ability to set up the offense and get them moving at the right pace is not 
something that when he comes in, it seems like everything opens up or everything changes because like I, the biggest challenge is that, and the easiest thing to see is that he and D'Lo play the game completely differently. D'Lo wants to be deliberate. He wants to slow things down. He wants to really set things up and he wants to control who gets the ball and when. Um, and then sometimes when, he, and then when the ball goes over to Ant, Ant's going to figure out what Ant's going to do. And then if he decides before he drives that the right thing's going to be to pass, then he's going to look for the pass. So, and that's, you know, both of them have room to grow on that side. So McLaughlin is completely different than both of them. McLaughlin. And Be- ne- you can throw Beverly in that yeah. same. He's, so he's never looking for his own shot. He's always, but he's an equal opportunity passer based off of where the, what the defense gives him, where the op- offense drives yeah. the basketball. I, I think you bring up a good point in the sense that like, yeah, you hope that other guys will, well, that'll rub off on them. It's not a, an ability thing. I don't think there's anything McLaughlin's doing that's uniquely. He's the uniquely capable of doing it. Like mm-hmm. I think all the guys on the team, yep. all the guards are capable of doing what Jordan McLaughlin does. All the other guards are more talented than Jordan McLaughlin, yep. or they have physical advantages over Jordan McLaughlin, or what, whatever you may you know want to say about it. Like. Um, I think the difference was is that on this entire team, McLaughlin probably knows who McLaughlin is better than all the other guys know who they are. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, all of them. Like even Cat, our best player, doesn't really understand where his he's best utilized or where he struggles. You know, all those guys kind of they all see themselves as alphas or you know, and you know, and when I say all, I mean Cat, D'Lo, Ant. And Beverly, Beverly sees himself as a big part of the big three, yep. you know, and they all see that they all see their, like, I think the only two that really are in the big three are Ant and Cat and D'Lo people put in the big three because of his salary. D'Lo thinks he's part of the big three. Mm-hmm. Beverly thought he was part of the big three. And so then you have, all of a sudden you have your, and then Ant, Ant is actually almost fighting for like, I'm the face of the franchise. So you have those guys sort of dominating the ball. And it becomes stagnant. They're not moving it. I, like, we got a lot of credit for having a good offense this year. That's just because of the talent. I didn't really think there was very good ball movement all season. I, I really didn't think the offense was anything special, mm-hmm. um, even though we get a lot of credit for it. As much as I love Chris Finch, what I love about Chris Finch is almost like what people liked about Phil Jackson, is that he was able to handle all the various personalities. And Finch, it's not the same, but Finch is able to handle all the different games of the players and kind of work them into a system so that they all can be positive contributors. That's what I like about Finch. But in, in terms of his offense, I there what offense? <laughs> like, it's just like, you guys go out and do whatever you want to do. Like, I don't know. Like, that's there is no real offense there, you know? And so I think, to your point, yes, like, that if if once the guys feel comfortable and they know, hey, this this is gonna come back around to me, mm-hmm. and they start trusting that they're still gonna get theirs, then they'll share. And you saw it in stretches this year, and in those stretches, the Wolves were unbeatable. There was not a team in this league that could hang with us because we were putting up, you know, the starters were on pace to score 150 a game if they stayed on the floor. You know, if they weren't up by 25 in the fourth quarter and sitting down the rest of the quarter, like they were juggernauts. But yeah. As soon as one guy got a little bit confident, you, you heard them all point at that after bad losses. They would all say, hey, we got we got too selfish. We got, you know, too much hero ball, whatever the case may be. And and McLaughlin doesn't do that because McLaughlin knows who McLaughlin is. And we do need the rest of the guys to kind of have that um, growing up to kind of, you know, be more self-aware 
Yeah, and it's just, even if there was one guy in the starting lineup who, other than Vanderbilt, who was never going to have the ball in the first place unless he's in the dunker spot, who wasn't looking for a shot. You know, if if D'Lo's not looking for a shot, D'Lo is trying to make a flashy assist. You know, if Ant's not looking for a shot, it's because he's decided on the way up that he's going to get a, a bucket, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, he, he's already in the act of shooting when he right. decides he's not going to yeah. shoot. Like, so, you know, and... And, and, and Kat's like D'Lo. Kat, Kat wants to be Jokic um, yeah. every once in a while, and he's winging these crazy passes. So, yeah, they're they're all looking for highlight plays when they have the ball in their hands. And, I, you know, I get it to a certain extent because, like, you, you, there's only so many shots that can go around, and, you know, you're all these offensive players. This is why I don't want to necessarily add another offensive-minded player. Like, even if we trade mm-hmm. D'Lo, I'd rather it be for a, like, Jason Kidd yeah. type one. There's There are none of those guys, right? No, but I mean, like, the, like, we've talked about Lonzo Ball before. Yeah, who, a, go. I don't think Chicago is going to trade him. And B, I don't know what you'd even offer for him do with his injury history. So it's just, but he's the type of player. It's like, yeah, he's a guy who can set up the offense. He's a guy that can get you moving in transition. He can play good defense and hit an open three. But we don't want, like, we don't need somebody who's going to have to drive the offense. Like, as much as, we, you know, we talk about Phoenix and the fact that Chris Paul was the guy who put them over the edge and he, he drives that train. Like, I don't know if Minnesota needs a ball-dominant Chris Paul. You know, it's, right. it's just, they need a Chris Paul like veteran in a different mold. You know, it's, you think to, you know, if, you know, Britt brought up that Carl and, um, Ant are going to have to be like pow and Kobe, you know, if they're going to, you know, at their, at their peak, if, if that's the type of relationship they can have, especially in the playoffs where it's like, yeah, you can say that pow is the better player for a long portion of the season. And I used to, like, I used to say like pow was the MVP of that team for a long period of time. But you need a Kobe. You need a Kobe to step up in the playoffs in those in those clutch moments, whatever it happens to be. But the third best player of that team was a lot was Lamar Odom. You know, it's and we don't need we don't need a I don't know what you know. What did the Lakers do when they went out and they got Steve Nash and Dwight Howard? Like they don't need a Steve Nash on no. that on that Powell no. and Kobe team. You know they or they, now they got went on got a Westbrook instead of a Rondo and look what look yeah. what that did. You know, like the teams do this all the time and it baffles me how gms can be this dumb where they're just like i just want all the best players on my team Mm -hmm. and then they scratch their head and they can't figure out why it didn't work like you you can't have four 25 point per game guys on the team that looks great in fantasy yeah it's terrible in real basketball you need a pecking order it like so so to your point or brit's point about the the pow i think cat's a better player than pow and ants not a kobe yet but i get it i get the comparison the lamar odom is Jaden mcdaniels that's yeah. another guy who knows that, as yeah. well. Yeah. And and so I think that that works. So what is like the point guard you need predates the, the Powell and Kobe, but it's you need a Derek Fisher. You know, you need that kind of a or a Ron Harper. Or you need mm-hmm. one of those point guards that isn't gonna be confused by whether or not he's the star of the team. Yeah. I think Beverly is confused that he thinks he's a, he sees all the I love Pat Bev shirts in the crowd and he's like, Oh, I'm the one that built this Mm -hmm. this persona this team so i'm gonna i'm gonna be the the guy now you know well that didn't work you know and uh this is where i defend d'lo is because i think d'lo was more okay with that role the difference is is he's not a natural point guard so he was doing the best he could you know his he he had a career high in assists yep but he still wasn't a pass first 
mentality, right? Like, so then it becomes, he's just a, a decent passing guard who used to be, we, when we saw him on other teams, was a, a prolific scorer who's not being a prolific scorer, so now we're disappointed. But it's like, what do you do? You want him taking more shots? Because that means your favorite guy, Ant, isn't going to take shots, mm-hmm. or the best guy, Cat's not going to take shots. Like, I think that's the way the entire Timberwolves fandom kind of resides, is most, I would say 90% of them like Ant the best, yep. and 90% of them probably recognize Cat is the best, and the other 10% would, might be arguable as too, but... Nobody's on uh, no fan is saying that Delo's the best. No fan is saying Beverly's the best, right? And so it in that, like when people are saying they're disappointed in Delo, well, what did you, you want him scoring 30? Because guess what? Ant's not gonna score 25 then. You yeah. know, like so we just need a defensive guy, pass first guy there. Um and like you said, Lonzo would be great. You know how much I like Lonzo. I yeah, like Lonzo. Absolutely. But yeah, he's just probably not gettable. Ricky Rubio in his prime would have been Good. He's not the shooter that Lonzo is, so that isn't exactly ideal. But it's better than what D'Lo is. But like we saw D'Lo and Ricky struggle last year, two guards. You know, but you but we saw them actually play really well when Ricky was starting and D'Lo came off the bench for a period of time. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you just can't have, you know, three guards on the court that all wanted control. Like you see it with, you know, all these teams that figure it out when it's a little too late like their their star becomes a little disgruntled and they start shipping off the other ball handler and it's a little bit like i actually am curious what dallas will do because you know like brunson's starting to emerge but do they really want another guy that's going to need the ball on his hands next to luca because luca wants the ball 90 percent of the time mm-hmm. like um luca almost has to be built around like philly did with iverson where they just surround him with you know three and d guys and you know, I think the Wolves are kind of like that with Ant and Cat. Like, each, everybody else has to be a defender first. Yep. Team pass, pass the ball first for those two guys to thrive and do what they do best. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, I, so I think I think it's the fit with D'Lo. I don't think it's the talent. I, you know, yep. I think we've yep. talked—I mean, like, we've been harping, you know, the whole season on the fact that Tim Rule still didn't get fleeced in the Andrew Wiggins-D'Angelo Russell trade. I, You know— and I would still, no matter how poorly D'Lo played in that first-round series or how much he struggled over the last month of the season, I still wouldn't make rem- undo that trade. I don't think it made any sense, and I think it made the Timberwolves better at the time. I think it made them better for the, the foreseeable future, and it put them in a position where they're at now, and they don't get there with Andrew Wiggins. So, um, I think it's even, it even made them better in the, that playoff series because if Andrew Wiggins is on this team, Dylan Brooks isn't guarding him. Dylan Brooks is now guarding Ant. Mm-hmm. And now you're relying on Wiggins to go out and get you 37 or whatever it was, you know? Right. I mean, you're just as disappointed in him as they are with him against Memphis right now, where they're yeah. putting jaw on him in the corner because he's the easiest matchup for jaw to right. guard. Right. Yeah. They're hiding jaw on him. And, and they didn't, that tells you what, what Memphis thought of Delo, that they put their best defender at the wing mm-hmm. on, on Delo that, you know, they didn't put um, jaw on Delo or, you know, yeah, Bain on D'Lo. They, you know, and so they actually were daring the the twenty year old star from the Wolves to beat them, and he did really well in one game. He yep. did good in the other games, um, but he didn't do enough in those other games to to win the games. You know, and especially in crunch time when the ball stopped moving and everybody was trying to play hero ball. So if you get a more you know pass first kind of guard there, you know, Tyus is another one that would be a good fit here. Honestly, you know, and um, I, like you know, when people say he's not a starter, 
Mm-hmm. Like you can't go out and get him. Like I get that because he's yeah he's not as talented as D'Lo, but he's probably a better fit. You know. Yep, he can. He would do different things for the Timberwolves, and I, I like I get everybody who says, "Let's take a look at Tyus." I, you know, I want to bring back Tyus, and he's he's one of the guys that we're going to talk about in our next episode when we discuss free agents and what that the list looks like, um, and where the team should go from here, and just kind of our, some of our preliminary offseason targets. Um, I think the challenge, and you know, you and I go back and forth this, on this a lot, where I have a very hard time removing the contract from my perception of a player and their value on the team because. I do very highly consider how much of the pie they're taking up for the value that they're providing. So D'Lo at 30 million, 31, 32 million is more disappointing to me than D'Lo at 20 million would be where I, you know, I take a look at Tyus and the whole question surrounds, and I don't have the answer to this, but the whole question around Tyus to me becomes, what is that number going to look like? Cause he, I mean, what did the Grizzlies go without Ja this year? 22 and two or something like 20, that? 23 and three. 23? I think, yeah. So, and the way that they're playing now with him out against against Golden State, like his number is only going up. So if he if he reaches the the Lonzo Ball twenty million dollar a year number, like that, that's just a lot different than the nine million he's been playing under for Memphis these last few years. So, um, and and yes, he would you would find flaws in his game once he got into a playoff series as well. Teams would target him. You know, it's, it's like he's not a perfect player either. Well, look, and, he he yeah. wasn't great against us. Like, yeah, he was only good at the end of games when we kind of to use the Denny green quote, like he was who we thought he was. And we let him off the hook because we stopped defending the rim as well. We started getting too much into this selfish hero ball on offense, which was leading to breakdowns on defense. And job was, you know, he was trading his twos or his two free throws for our three point attempts that we were just missing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, he, he is a problematic player. And, you know, I, I think you're, in the majority and I'm in the minority when you're talking about like not weighing, I, it's not that I don't weigh the salaries. It's like, you can't do anything with the salary. You have to me, it's like, yeah, do you want, so if you have a $30 million a year player, you want that guy to be your second first or second star, right? Like, right. But that's just not reality. Like Philadelphia has Tobias Harris kind of like a D-Lo, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's not what you want out of a $30 million player, but it is what it is. You already, the deal's already there. So it's not like you have a $30 million deal or you can go out and pick your uh, whatever other $30 million player you want off a store shelf. It doesn't work that way. You have to, what can you get for deal is the way I, or any player is the way I look at that deal. So it's yeah. like, I'm not going to just throw him away to get out of a contract because he adds value. And I'm not going to just bring back $30 million of expiring players so he's no longer here because that doesn't help us win either, you know? And, and in fact, I think it hurts us. It sets us back. It's what Minnesota has done for way too long mm-hmm. with the Wolves. Is like they, they make a bad signing, they panic, they give up a farm to get rid of that signing to just make another bad signing. You know, it just doesn't – to me, it's um, like you, you hold on to him until you can move him for the right move or you don't move him at all. You just – you ride it out. You make it work because the talent's there. Like you, you – it's what I always say about football too. It's like you have to modify the system to fit the talent. You don't, it's that's easier to do than modifying the talent to fit your system. Yeah. Like the talent is what the talent is like. And, you know, and I think that's one of the intriguing things about Finch is that he's been able to, to show that, that he can get the most out of guys when he's got time to play with them. And I, you know, I mean, he, you, you talked about McLaughlin being his favorite player because they're, they're so similar 
but that's all we heard for the first two thirds of the season about him and D'Lo as well. So I think there's there are signs for hope between those two as mm-hmm. you know, figure it out. Yeah, and I'm gonna we're gonna talk a lot about what the offseason look looks like. I I do think Finch has been amazing at building a system to surround the players that he has available to him. I would I would love to know what those conversations are are sounding like right now between him and Gupta and especially if Gupta is going to be around. That's another conversation for another day to trying to figure out who the, the lead decision maker is going to be, especially if they haven't even uh, made that decision yet as we start approaching the draft. But um, but with Finch starting to provide a little bit of feedback, a little bit of a preference in what he would like to see added to this roster in order to allow him to build his best system, not just the system that fits the, the guys he's been given. I would love to know what, what that looks like. But um, we're going to push... Uh, I'm going to push Torian Prince into our our free agency conversation coming up in our next episode because he is the only uh, unrestricted free agent on the roster. He is, as of now, unsigned heading into next year, and they're going to have to consider him just at the exact same level as the rest of the uh, the upcoming free agents. So uh, that has been largely uh, part three of our 2021-2022 Timberwolves season recap. Uh, we took a look at all the players and, and what they meant to this team and uh, where, where we're at with them moving forward. So uh, Chad, I'm looking forward to, to bringing this back. We've got a long list of uh, potential free agents or trade targets to talk about, and uh, let's do that soon, okay? Sounds good, man. All right, it's been a good conversation. Talk to you later. All right, see ya.